on GT Channel with Sam Itani, James McKeon, and Taro Koki. All right. I think we're live. Well, that's the best place to be, right? Welcome, welcome, welcome to Pod Speed on GT Channel. Uh, we have a great guest today. Thanks for joining us. Stephen Papadakis from Papadakis Racing, a legend in the sport compact scene. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I don't remember exactly how and when I first met you. Um, must have been back in mid or early 2000s through some mutual friends. Um, maybe you were still in poor drag racing guy. Anyway, um, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, man. Yeah, it had to have been around that time. And, you know, the industry was so big and growing and, and you know, obviously so diverse. Um, and those of us that have been in the scene for so long, you know, we all came across each other before we, we ended up hanging out, you know, on a social side. Yeah. yeah um, so before we get started, I just want to acknowledge um, something. Um, if uh, if you've been uh, living on this planet, uh, whether you're a car guy or not, I think um, a lot of things have happened in the past week. Uh, there's just been a lot of pain. And um, I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the recent killings of, of George Floyd. Um, but there's there's some issues that, that um, need to be fixed in the U.S. And, um, you know, we're, um, I think we, we stand by uh this movement i mean something is wrong yeah, you got to identify the issue right it's um it's just like a car right steph i mean if uh the first thing to do is identify a problem and then you got to fix it yeah um unfortunately it seems very, very complicated on how to fix these things but uh i think everybody's really spoken up that they want some change and uh and hopefully we can get that uh some positive change going yeah I think that's a that's a great idea, the premise of trying to get the change. And so what I think the three of us have probably suggested is we always tell everyone that if you're going to make the change, it's good to do things like vote. So we always suggest people go register to vote. Always make sure they tell their friends that they vote when it's time to vote. And you can make your changes at, what is it, city, county, state, and federal, right, isn't it? I mean, I'm not a citizen, so I don't get these challenges, but you guys may have that option. You were able to do those kind of things, right? Yeah, unfortunately, I can't vote either. Well, there you go. So, Steph, it's all down to you from us three here. <laughs> okay. It's all on you, dude. <laughs> I am a voter, so yes. So, there you go. That's the first thing we ask, and we just recommend it. Isn't, would you say that's right, Tara? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. We can just uh, do whatever we can do within our own capacity. Okay. Uh, James, uh, how are you doing? Well, it, it's been, I mean, I'm the one that probably lives a little bit closest to the moment here. I live just off Melrose here in Hollywood, and we had a little bit of, uh, it's been, uh, sort of would say there's been lots of things happening over the past week or so. Um, Saturday night, people may have seen there was some activity that was seems to be started by some people who were looking for nefarious means or whatnot. And so I will say it was, uh, there was a lot of activity. There's a lot of sirens, a lot of helicopters. There was a fire not too far away from us here. Um, and it was obviously, you'd, as I, I like to consider it like squeaky bum. It was a bit nervous at the time. Uh, since then, I mean, the Sunday we had to go out the following day, we helped some folks, some of our friends, businesses clean up and do that kind of thing. But since then, there's been a lot of peaceful protests. I mean, I'm all for it. There seems to be one every day. The mayor's house is not too far from here. It's like 10 blocks away. There was a march to that. There's been marches up and down in West Hollywood, here in Hollywood, um, almost every day. 
uh, I think it's fantastic. These people are getting behind this and we're seeing the, the thoughts. And, and as Stefan said, it's everyone's trying to get together and look for solutions and that what people can ask for. Yeah. We can only, uh, we can only do what we can, you know, speak, them, speaking of that Tara, didn't you do yeah. something as well for what you could for your <laughs> friends well, and family I, I thought and everyone about else? This a lot, you know, I thought about, um, you know, what's going on and, and, um, what we can do or what I can do as, as a, as a Japanese national living here. Um, well, Sam and I started this thing where we uh, talk about the news, the current news of the United States in Japanese. So we figured the world needs to know uh, what's going on in uh, the States right now. And you can only go get you know, so much from, uh, from the media. And we thought that it would be uh, good to kind of digest the US news cycle and kind of report it in Japanese with all of the nuances um, that lay there. So uh, that's just something I thought that I could do to kind of communicate the situation here in the US. Oh, but that's awesome. That's awesome, yeah. Tara, we appreciate that. But uh, we can't, I mean, we have, we, you and I have been talking to her all this time, so we better kick it off with Stefan's. And you've got a whole host of questions I know that you wanted to ask him. But I also wanted to let all the viewers know that obviously Stefan's been a guest of the No Break podcast, and I'll have a link up on Facebook and YouTube, and you'll put it up again, I guess, when you pop on the respective uh, podcast sites, where they can listen to a whole in-depth podcast about Stefan Papadakis, about how he started in the industry. But you can also obviously focus on some of the things he's been doing much more recently than that, Tara. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense because we've already, uh, you know, we don't want any uh, overlap here. Yeah. Um, so let, let's get into it. Um, so, Steph, how are you doing now? Um, you know, obviously before all this this week, the coronavirus affected a lot of Formula Drift and the series that you're involved in. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're good. So last year we had, you know, the full form of the Drift series. In parallel, we were developing the new 2020 Supra uh, engine to try to make a thousand horsepower. And we profiled that whole build on our YouTube channel. Uh, we were successful with that. And, um, and then over this past winter, we built one of the new 2020 Supras for uh, Drift for Frederick Oswalds to drive. Um, we've now finished the car and we also filmed a whole YouTube video of the building of that car. Uh, and we've actually taken it for a couple of test drives um, because our season has been delayed. Um, so in the next week or so, we're going to release some YouTube videos showing the car on track uh, awesome. in its finished state. So um, we've got that. And then we've got our season to look forward to. Right now, we're on a bit of a pause, you know, as a lot of public big, big events. Uh, but Formula Drift is planning to have uh, events later this year, uh, whether hopefully with fans, uh, but if there are some regulations that restrict that, um, um, and we can move around to different states depending on where the safest place to have the event is. Mm -hmm. uh, but even if for some reason we're not able to have fans, the plan is to still have an actual comp several competition events and then have that on the live stream for, uh, for everybody to watch. That's great. Yeah, and, and uh, congrats on the success of your YouTube channel. I mean, it's just going bonkers i mean i remember talking to you two years ago and you're like ah eh, should i do youtube or not and then <laughs> now now look at you you're a youtube star yeah it's, it's been a lot of fun like um i've been watching a lot of youtube the last 
you know, four or five years. And uh, I probably watch at least as much YouTube as I do, you know, broadcast and other types of television. Cause I don't watch that many fictional or like produced shows anymore. Mm-hmm. And I uh, learned how to do a lot of stuff and realized I get hit up with a lot of questions on how we, you know, build the cars or engines and how certain things work. And, and, uh, and it's been fun to, you know, to do the filming and to show people what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. The super stuff that you're doing is, is super interesting. I mean, all this stuff that you're doing is, is super interesting, but um, just going back to the Supra, uh, what do you think of it as a drifting platform? It's actually quite good. Uh, it, the engine um, has a lot of potential the uh and so we're able to get some really good power out of the engine the uh the chassis itself is quite rigid which is nice the engine is relatively far back so you can have good weight distribution closer to 51 or even almost 50 50 weight distribution on the car and there's already quite a bit of uh aftermarket parts for it so we used a suspension designed from a company called wisefab and they do full upright and suspension links and it has a different geometry that's specific for a uh, drift so you get a lot of steering angle you know 65 plus degrees of steering angle and because we run the cars lower it has a drop spindle so you can have the all of the the ratios and and the uh the roll centers and stuff all adjusted for the ride heights that we run and they've been really good for kind of feedback back and forth to continue to evolve the kit but that helped us a lot on the development of the car we didn't have to totally develop suspension uh, WiseFab had already uh, had a really good baseline for that. How was it compared to some of your other builds that you've had to kind of really Frankenstein it into a real wheel drive and really, really, uh, you know, change the geometry of the car? Yeah. So this, in, in that aspect, this car was easier because um, typically the last few cars we built, a Corolla Hatchback and a Corolla IM and a Scion TC, these were all cars that were not normally built for drift. So we weren't able to really look at other people's cars for ideas or, you know, buy stuff off the shelf. We had to design and, and manufacture pretty much everything. Um, but the Supra again, because yeah, we had the, the suspension was designed by WiseFab and it already comes rear wheel drive. So we didn't have to do a lot of un, uh, unibody modifications. Like, so on a front wheel drive car, when you convert it to rear wheel drive, you don't have room for that transmission to come through the center of the car and the drive shaft. So we had to do a lot of sheet metal work. Well, the Supra was nice because it already has a big uh, transmission tunnel and uh, it was minimal work that we had to do. We just had to make, make a new transmission mount uh, for the different G-Force GSR transmission we use, but the engine mounts are still the factory location. We just made them solid instead of, uh, instead of factory soft mounts. I see. And has uh, Frederick driven the car already? Yeah, yeah, we've drove it a couple of times. Once at Willow Springs to do an initial shakedown, and then a week later uh, we were out at Irwindale on a private test day. You know, so he drifted the bank and and everything. So the car drove really well. He's really happy with it. And then now we have a list of things that we want to continue to improve on it. Mm -hmm. um, a little bit with suspension and uh, you know gearing and and you know as you get into competition, that list continues to. You know, you not not you mark things off the list that you finish, but then you add things uh, that you can do to make the car more competitive. Sure. What's the biggest uh, uh, thing you you change to make it more competitive? Uh, a big thing in drift right now is 
making sure the car is reliable and making the car making sure the car has some good speed. So we never want to have speed at the compromise of angle or um, having the car easy for the the driver to, to control. Um, but it is important to have the car some speed in the car because the re the real competition in drift is the tandem competition. Mm -hmm. And if you're chasing somebody, excuse me, if you're chasing somebody, uh, you want to try to get as close as you can because that's how you get good scores. And you want to have that grip so you can get, the driver can get on the throttle and get close and really show that dominance. And so you need some grip and some speed for that. But then when you switch positions and now you're leading. Uh, you don't want that chase car to really be that close. So you want to be able to go on the prescribed judge's line and have good angle, but also have some good speed at the same time. So it's harder for that chase car to get close and show their dominance. Right, right, right. I was listening to the smoking tire interview you did a couple months ago. Mm, yeah. And uh, you talked about the, the torque ban adjustments and drift engines where it's different compared to other types of motorsports. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yep, so traditional power band, uh, so where you have your power along the RPMs. In traditional motorsports, the peak power might come quite close to the, the red line of the engine. So, you know, from idle, it's gonna continue to build power all the way up to let's say 8,000 RPM where you shift. So you see a, a power curve sort of like this where it goes up, right? Well what we tend to do on the drift cars is we'll move that back a little bit and then have it drop off some power before the rev limiter. So that can either be trying to tune the cams and tune the turbo and everything to have more earlier torque uh, and sacrifice some high RPM and then also try to extend the rev limiter out a little bit farther as well. And what this does is when the car, when the driver is drifting and he's got the tire spinning and he's at, let's say, let's say the red line's at 8,000 RPM and he's at, 7500 and he's still wanting to stay floored with the throttle pedal it won't just go and sit there on the limiter the rev limiter because the power is going to drop off a little bit before the rev limiter but at the same time if you go into a part of a track where there's increased grip and it starts pulling the tire speed down and pulling the engine rpm down you still have some extra power there to keep the tires spinning if you have a power band like this as the tires start gripping up and as the RPM starts dropping, you start losing power, and then it can start really bogging down the engine. It makes it harder to drive. You might have to downshift or, you know, clutch in real quick to get the RPMs up to reinitiate the wheels again. So we yeah, found yeah. that like a, a more robust torque curve that might have drop off at high RPM horsepower seems to be the most competitive and easier for the driver to, uh, to improvise with. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, We've, I think a lot of us has followed you, um, you know, from the drag racing days, um, your nine second, eight second civics are legendary, right? And then you go on becoming this uh, most winningest <laughs> team in Formula Drift. Um, what kind of things did you learn from drifting or from drag racing has leveraged or helped you uh, with your successful second career in drifting? Sure, yeah, so when uh, I made the transition from drag to drift, um, I really wanted to drive, and I did drive for a while. I got a D1 license and Rookie of the Year in uh, I think it was 2005 with Formula Drift, but I really wasn't able to take that next level up to where the, you know, the, the real pros were, um, while at the same time you know, focusing on 
running the team and building the cars and everything. Uh, so I, I learned that driving the cars in drift is really challenging. Uh, you have very seasoned road racing drivers that'll come in and try to drift and they can get around the track drifting, but they'd be at the highest levels. Um, uh, that's, they rarely make that transition. Uh, so I, I learned that driving the cars was really challenging. Um, but at the same time, a lot of the stuff they did, we did, we learned with drag racing, with building the cars, I was able to take some of that uh, framework and apply it to the drift. So like with the engines, we were building, you know, 900,000 horsepower four cylinder engines. We had a 1600 horsepower V6 twin turbo engine that we ran. Uh, so we were very used to building high horsepower uh, engines and the electronics and the turbochargers and everything that, that comes together with that you need to get to come together with an engine package like that. So when I first got into drift, the power levels were, you know, four or 500, RP, four or 500 horsepower. So it's relatively easy for us to make that, that power and, um, and build those engines and, and the electronics and such. So that, that previous experience of drag really helped with the engine side. And then we've been building custom cars for drag racing for years. And these cars were custom to where they're full tube chassis and everything is, including the bodies were bespoke comp composite carbon bodies and everything. And when yeah. we transitioned into drift, it was more really based on unibody cars that were heavily modified. And because we were so used to building these really complicated one-off vehicles, moving to like an upgraded factory car was, um, seemed a bit more straightforward for us. So we had good success with building the chassis and uh, building the engines. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we started working with Tanner Faust in 2006. And uh, he's a natural, excellent driver. And yeah. the combination of us, you know, figuring out how to build the cars and then him driving was just a really winning package. Yeah, yeah, I remember those days. So when you were building uh, drift, uh, your drag car, drag racing cars with Sean Carlson, right? Was he your... That's right, yeah. So yeah. I did um, a bunch of drag racing in the, in the mid 90s and uh, in, in late 90s, um, just kind of getting stuff done, get the engine built, make it turbocharged in my, my old Honda Civic and just get into the track. And, and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was really challenging, learned a lot. And when I started working with the late Sean Carlson, uh, he really helped to step up my game, our game in making the cars also look good, be very clean, um, get more towards a cutting edge technology just versus like the garage, you know, technology. And, uh, you know, without him, I don't think I would have, um, I don't think I'd be where we are today. Yeah. So you were in a 240 and then an S2000, right? Originally, when you first yep. started out. So I was drag racing up until 2005. In 2004, I said, I want to do something all, you know, on the side. Let's do something a little bit different. So I built, yeah, a, a Nissan 240Z, or sorry, 240SX, mm -hmm. um, an S13, uh, with an SR20, and did a couple of events there, learning how to you know, get around the track, drifting. And then in 2005, um, we built a Honda S2000 uh, for drift. And was that with Sean too, or you did that separately? That was all on our on our own. Yeah, we, I worked okay. with Sean in uh, 2008 till about 2000 until about 2000 for you know two years or so. We shared a shop in 2001, and then after that, uh, we ended up becoming competitors because he was 
working with Ford, and then later he was working with Dodge with the Mopar stuff, and with we were, Sam and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we competed against each other in drag racing, and then right. later on we competed against each other uh, in drift as well. So I mean, our our working relationship re was really only a, a few years, mm -hmm. uh, but the industry and the car builds and what we were learning was at such a high rate at that moment, you know, between 98 and year 2000, that um, it really set a foundation for everything that we did moving forward. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did you get hooked up with Tanner originally? Uh, so as I was running my 240 in, you know, 2004 and a couple of Formula Drift events and then all, and then my, and then I did some, uh, and I did some Formula Drift events in 2005 uh, and also some D1 events in 2005. I just knew Tanner from the track mm -hmm. and he was doing a great job driving, but he was having trouble getting a car that would um, be able to be reliable and uh, he was having a lot, a lot of reliability issues. So mm -hmm. we, we would kind of talk about, you know, different engine setups and, and some stuff that maybe they could do to make it more reliable. And you know, we just kind of hit it off. Like I, I really respected him as a driver and I think he respected us as car builders. And um, in 2006, when we retired from drag racing and then went to drifting full time, the, my thought was, okay, I want to drift. I want to build the cars, but I don't think I can go out there and win these events and win championships, which is what as a team we're known to do and want to do. We have fun doing. So why don't I drive the B car and then we bring somebody in to drive the A car, and that was uh, that was Tanner Faust. So we ended up with a two-car team in 2006, and uh, that was with the two of us driving. Yep. And you won your championship, your first Formula Drift championship with Tanner. Yep. So in 2006, uh, Tanner got third with us in the championship, won the championship in 2007, and then uh, again in 2008. Um, 2009, we started working with Scion, and we built the rear engine, converted Scion TC with the NASCAR V8 engine, mm -hmm. ran that in 2009 and uh, 2010 with Tanner driving. Um, we brought Scion their first Formula Drift win with uh, that car. Yeah. And then in two, at the end of 2010, uh, Tanner retired from Drift, and went, he went full-time uh, Rallycross, mm -hmm. and then that's when we brought in. Frederick Osbo is a rookie driver in uh, 2011. How did that uh, make you feel when Tanner said he was going to Global Rallycross? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, to be honest with you, I also had wandering eyes looking at the Rallycross stuff. Like the car builds are really exciting. Um, all the tracks were looked exciting as well. Uh, it's very expensive and very complicated vehicles. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I like that kind of build. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, but you know what? Scion was really committed to drift and we had a really good run in drift. And, and I felt that drift was still climbing in popularity and maybe our, our work wasn't done there. And uh, starting with Frederick Osbo in 2011 and building a new car for him in 2011 really reinvigorated us to, to really kind of double down in drift and say, you know, there's, we don't need to switch series and do something else. I think there's a, there's, a lot of fun and a lot of exciting competition to still be to be had in uh, in drift and you know that was in 2010 and now 10 years later we're still ex <laughs> you know having a lot yeah. of fun building these cars and and you know at the moment there is no rally cross uh yeah exactly yeah 
Yeah, there was a little exodus. I remember back then when, like, you know, like Reese and, you know, Samuel, all the like top guys started going to GRC. And I was like, oh, is, are they going to take, you know, Drifting's place? But hey, Formula Drift is uh, still going strong. Yeah, and, you know, and, and in Tanner and Reese's defense, you know, those guys were originally rally car drivers yeah. that went into drift. And they're like, right. oh, rally car is getting big again. Let me get back to my rally car roots. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, you know, I went from drag to drift and rally seemed to like a lot of fun, but it wasn't necessarily, I didn't have a soft spot for rally or anything. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Although, so, don't get me wrong, I think it's really exciting and I love <laughs> the cars and I get a lot of inspiration uh, from some of the rally cross builds and definitely from the world rally championship builds. Yeah, yeah. So I think I remember this was Frederick's first year with you in Formula Drift. Um, I remember after he got knocked out, I, I was uh, I, I was just you know part of the media just walking around, and I saw him up on the spotter stand with you, and you know I don't think he made it into the show, uh, into top sixteen, but he was up on the spotter stand with you with a note and pen, and he was just like stuck to your hip basically and you know like taking notes and asking questions and I've never seen a Formula Drift driver do that before up until that point and when I saw that I was like man this this kid's really diligent I mean he's gonna you know go somewhere I mean if he does if he does the you know makes the right moves and he keeps his head down and keep on driving forward I mean it, he's gonna go some places yeah what one of the what did you feel assets. about Frederick yeah, one of the greatest assets that Frederick has, it ha greatest assets that Frederick has is his, um, he's open to, for criticism and he's open to listen and, uh, and at the same time, definitely has his own opinions mm -hmm. and is willing to debate. And I think right. he's not just a pushover that's, okay, that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to go do it. It's okay, I'm going to absorb that. And then this is what I think. And then he and I will debate it and then come to something that we think we should try. Um, and if it doesn't work, then maybe one of us was wrong and, and we tried the other thing. But we're, we're really interested, we, we really like having that debate. Um, and like what you said, it had a lot to do with, okay, we think that there is, for the viewers at home, you know, judging, drifting is judged. So there is what you, is perceived to be what you're supposed to do on track to get wins. And there's the reality of how people win rounds with the tandem competition and how, mm -hmm. even how they get good scores within qualifying. And I've watched pretty much every round of form of the drift competition, you know, since 2004. Um, so I had a lot of input on that by the time Frederick came on the team and watching Tanner, you know, just become the winningest driver and, and uh, all those championships. So, as Frederick would go out, he would say, you know, you know, I think I should have won that round. I was like, no, hold on a second here. This is what I think uh, transpired in that round. And so what would happen is regardless of how, unless he won that event, which in the first you know, few years, he didn't win any events. Yeah. Whenever he'd go out in competition, he'd come up to the spotting tower and we would analyze every pair of tandem drift cars. Mm -hmm. And we would discuss, you know, why somebody who we thought would win that round and then who actually won the round and then try to interpret why they won that round and what the judges were thinking and then when we would go into competition next time we would try to apply those lessons learned into trying to uh achieve better results and 
And he still does that today where we will record rounds with video and then he'll watch those. And then he, he doesn't use me as much anymore because um, he understands it at least as good as I do, probably better because he can drive mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I can't do what he can do on the track. Uh, but um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of research going on there and there's a lot of, um, I hate to use the word strategy because it's just understanding what the judges want and giving them what they want. Right. right? right. And, and at the end of the day, if you're trying to win these competitions, we believe that's the best way forward to do that, not to do it your own way and then complain about it after the round if you don't take a win. Yeah, I feel like drifting, in drifting particularly, the driver's meeting is like 50% of the weekend, right? Because if you don't pay attention to what the, because at the driver's meeting, which we don't get to see, like the, the audience doesn't get to see, this is where the judges actually tell you step-by-step step what they want to see on this, on this turn, I want to see this, on this turn, I want to see this, 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 right? Really, specifically, they give you instructions, right? During these uh, driver's meetings. Yeah, so in the driver's meeting, it's very, it's very comprehensive. So we want to see you on this particular line, out, outer zone, near this inner clip. You should have maximum angle here. You can have some lower angle here. And, uh, and they really break it down on what they want to see. And we don't want to see a compromise in angle for speed here. You need to have maximum angle. And if you're able to put that together, you're going to end up with a 100-point run. Very challenging to do that, and only a few people ever have. Uh, but if you're not listening to – if you make a mis – mistake is not the right word. If you're not doing what the judges prescribe in a certain section, you might get deducted you know, several points for angle, a couple points for line, another some more for um, – uh, impact, like, and you add that up and all of a sudden you went from, you might have an 82 point run, uh, and, and be quite low because you're not understanding. You didn't really understand what the judges wanted in the judge's defense. You know, they do have that meeting and, but then in practice on Friday, before they, we ever qualify, they're also up in the spotting tower with us. So if we have any questions, um, or if we want them to watch our drivers run, we say, Hey, can you watch? Frederick's run right now, his practice run, uh, how would you judge that? And what can we do to improve on that, that run? And that back and forth uh, happens uh, all the way up until co when competition starts. And um, the judges don't want any secrets. They want you to listen and do what they, they want you to do. So they're and, pretty and transparent. Look, and, the, and the reason for that, you know, and the reason why is that everybody is then on the same playing field. If everybody's out there for a free-for-all that can do the most extreme drift, then it turns into a trick challenge, not an actual competition where everybody's on the same rules. Right, right. Yeah. So it's pretty transparent on what the judge A will tell you and judge A will tell the other driver that might come and ask a question, right? So That's right. And you can even overhear, and there, there aren't secret meetings. Mm -hmm. So you can't, you know, they... they and you can listen to other conversations that the judge might be having with another spotter about that other driver. And I'll often do that. Um, just not say anything and just eavesdrop on the conversation. And that's, that's allowed. You know, some people, mm -hmm. they can listen to what I'm asking. And the idea is that if I'm asking a relevant question that 
relates to the judging, then everybody should know the answer to that. It's, it's, uh, that's a tough part about drifting. Same like surfing, for example, because it's subjective, but I think they're trying not to be as subjective as possible by breaking it down, right, into those certain... And that's the challenge, three, right, is taking a yeah. judge, judge sport and making it uh, uh, non-subjective. <laughs> as, as much <laughs> as possible. Yeah. And yeah. The, the Olympics, uh, you know, that's something the Olympics have, yeah. have worked on for 100 years. So Gymnastics, right? Same thing, yeah. right? It's like you're not measuring. And, you know, it, look, even, even when you talk about uh, half-pipe skateboarding yeah. or BMX or, mm-hmm. you know, snowboard stuff, X games. I mean, there's tons of competitions that are not just people dancing around, you know, that, that uh, are judged sports. They even have the word extreme in them. Yeah. <laughs> where, where do you think, um, you know, let's take Corona out of the equation for now, but uh, where do you think drifting is, is heading uh, in general? I mean, uh, they've kind of survived the ups and downs and 2008 recession and, you know, uh, where do you think it's heading? Um, well, I do feel that it's still gaining popularity here in the U.S. Um, we continue to have sold out events, uh, even in uh, new regions. So the, the series is doing quite well. Uh, the live stream continues to build um, and then internationally, uh, it continues to build. So in other countries, um, drifting the popularities, yeah, continuing to grow. And then when you look at the the drivers and even us as a team, and you look at our social media exposure and our Instagrams and Facebooks and YouTube channels and stuff like that, uh, they are s- some of the best in motorsport um, mm-hmm. behind maybe some of the Formula One drivers and such. But uh, yeah, I mean, Formula Drift, I think is, it's, it's shown itself to be a really good event. And, um, and, and we just keep chugging along and having a lot of fun with it. What do you feel about, you know, sponsors and partners like, you know, Toyota, uh, you know, coming in with a new Supra and using Formula Drift as a platform to promote a new product? Do you see that happening more with other uh, OEs? Yeah, so uh, obviously Scion and then Toyota, um, Ford is in the space, uh, you know, so there's some Nissan cars, Hyundai has been here in the past. Um, and then you've even seen Kia, like at the SEMA show and some others doing drifting, um, not in a competition sense, but doing drifting with their, uh, uh, some of their new products. And then pretty much <laughs> so many TV commercials you see on, uh, for uh, car companies, the cars are drifting through the commercials. So, I mean, it, it's, it's something that's exciting to watch. Um, and I think that the, the OEs see that, you know, when, when people see their car drifting around, whether it's just on a TV commercial or in competition, like in Formula Drift, that it adds some excitement and some, uh, you know, some pizzazz to, to a, a car. Yeah. You think the empty stadium events will be attractive enough? I think so. The, our live stream is is hugely popular, um, and with or without fans, that doesn't affect the competition on the track. And I think, regardless of whether we have fans or not this year, we're going to have successful events. Yeah, I actually agree with you on that. 
I actually agree. Um, who do you think some of the new guys to watch in FD now? I mean, you got guys like, you know, like for example, like Adam LZ that has more subscribers and viewers than, you know, the series itself. I mean, you, ha you have some of this new blood coming in. Who's someone to watch out for? Uh, well, I know Daigo Saito, who's <laughs> uh, a past champion and, uh, you know, globally uh, considered one of the best drift drivers, uh, period. Yeah. Um, was planning to come back into form of the drift this year. So somebody to watch. Uh, there are, I heard some, maybe a Swedish driver and maybe some other Japanese drivers that I don't know of. Um, but I think Daigo would be one. And then some of maybe the upcoming drivers, like maybe a Dylan Hughes, mm. uh, you know, coming up within the scene as well. Um, and then we've got Ryan Turk, who's going to be in uh, the Toyota Corolla hatchback, the one that Freddie has been driving the last couple of years. Um, so he'll be in a new car this year. That'll be fun to watch. So is he uh, going to be with your team? That's right. Yeah. So we are handling uh, the Supra for Frederick, the Corolla hatchback for Ryan Turk, and then also the GT86 uh, for Jonathan Castro. So we'll be building three cars this year. Driver team. Pardon me? You're going to be busy. Yeah, yeah, man. We, we've, uh, this busy, we're fine with that. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> we love building cars and, and, uh, we love competing. So, um, we're fine being busy. Where did you think you got your, uh, your work ethics from? I mean, I, I, not to bring up, um, well, I know you're a hard worker. I mean, you're one of the, you know, hardest workers I've seen out there. Um, but I, but I, I think I, this was on the, uh, um, smoking tire podcast as well. You, you know, you new guy comes in what do you, what do you tell him to do? I think you said something like watch and learn. And it's obvious that your work ethics are pretty crazy. I mean, even just watching your videos, I mean, someone who can create videos like that on their own is like, you, you're pretty meticulous, right? Um, um yeah. Where, where so does that come from? I'm, I'm, I'm 43, uh, and I've been racing cars since I was 13 with RC cars. So 30 years of this, but when I was 13 years old, um, racing little ready controlled off-road cars, I was like, I want to be a professional RC car racer. And believe it or not, at that time in around 1989, 1990, mm -hmm. uh, there were a few professional RC car racers here in Southern California because there was a, a building sport of that RC car racing and there's off-road tracks and such. So I'm 13 years old and I would see these older kids that were, you know, 22, 25 and they were, and I would learn how to work on my RC car from them. And the pit was laid out, you know, really well, their little, you know, the table essentially and all their tools were laid out all, you know, square on the table and they'd tear the car down each day and clean everything with a little toothbrush and put it all together and make sure everything was all perfect. And that was just how I thought you work on cars. That's just, that's just how you do it. So as I started working on um, my own RC car, that's, that's how I, I worked on it. And then when I worked on real cars, um, I definitely started becoming a little bit less, uh, you know, I didn't have as nice of a garage and as many tools and such. Uh, but it really was about finishing the car and getting it out and actually running the car and not starting a project and not finishing it. It has to be finished as some, you know, within some reasonable amount of, amount of time. 
And as the resources and the money became more, more available and the projects got bigger, uh, there's still that fundamental um, have a plan for the project, have a finish date, meet that finish date, and uh, build upon that. Uh, and, and it's just, that's just, that formula has worked well for us. So if a young kid came to your shop and said they wanted to work for you, what would you tell them? We have, yeah, we have them clean up around the shop first and watch us because you got to learn how to clean up a mess before you can make one. Um, and you learn how to be safe and, uh, and then eventually, you know, you can, we know, Hey, come here, hold this for, for me or go grab that tool. Or then you start learning a, little, a bit of the language and then maybe you have them do a little, you know, it's, 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 it's you know, it's the, the tradesmen sort of going up through the, the ranks and, and the apprenticeship. Yeah. And, and I did that too. You know, I did that with RC cars. Like when I was 13 years old and the older kids, they'd have me with a little Dremel and a little buffing wheel and they'd make me polish the little dog bones that go, you know, for the, that drive the wheels. Cause they'd want them instead of the black, they wanted them all polished. So I'm there with the mother's polish and the little Dremel and polishing all their stuff while they're working on other stuff. And um, it teaches you to become meticulous and, and what does it mean when it's finished? You know, you know, how much is done before it's finished. And, uh, and I think having those kind of smaller projects puts into that foundation, builds that foundation that you can use for the big projects that are composed of many little projects. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, so with, do you think you take that same approach uh, with your YouTube stuff? Yeah, with the YouTube stuff, it's, it, with anything new, it, it, it's very overwhelming because it can be so complicated, right? You're like, okay, if I'm going to do a YouTube video, I've got to do something in front of the camera and then I've got to somehow film it, film it. And then I've got to take that and bring it into the computer and then edit it and then put it out on YouTube and figure out that whole, you know, that whole uh, interface. And so I just kind of break it down. Okay, well, so uh, before I ever did any YouTube videos, um, I planned on doing a YouTube video and I started filming it. And I was, this is, it was too overwhelming. There was too much going on. And I realized I can't do a 12 minute video. It's too much for me to do. So I started doing 20 second to one minute Instagram videos and just shooting with my phone and then editing it with that editing software. And then later on I would shoot it with my phone and then use a laptop software. And then I would shoot it with an actual uh, like handheld camera and then bring it and use an editing software and then put it on YouTube. But because they were bite sized and only, you know, 30 seconds or 60 seconds, you know, if I, I could spend an hour or two on it, it wasn't an overwhelming amount of time and I actually have a finished, it was all really about coming out with a finished product mm -hmm. and then saying, okay, how can I improve on that? And then improving on it for the next one and then right. continuing to evolve. Eventually when I felt like I mastered the 60 second video, I said, okay, I'm ready to do a seven minute video on YouTube. <laughs> now you're making long form <laughs> yeah. motion so, pictures. And, um, and while I was learning to do all of this, I was watching YouTube videos on how to film and YouTube videos on how to edit and YouTube videos on, on the, the structure of a video with a beginning and a middle and an end. Yeah. And as I'm watching these videos, I'm realizing, Oh, that's why I like this creator. That's why I like this, um, this specific video, right? Like mm -hmm. 
And then I would, it was really interesting is to, to me was the, the people that were the best that I felt were the best at making the YouTube videos were the ones teaching how to use the camera mm. and how to, uh, how to film certain things, because right. those are typically individuals, you know, men and women that were interested in becoming create filming, you know, maybe working in Hollywood and yep. building and making film, but they ended up, so they know how to use the camera really well. And they knew, how, you know, maybe they took a little bit of film school or something and they were putting that production value, not production value, but that production maybe structure into the videos I was watching. Mm-hmm. And then, so I was taking some of those structures and then just applying it to automotive videos. I see. Yeah. So uh, I'm just going to jump in Tara for a second. So Stefan, yep. as we've got your YouTube page up now, which is the one that you've had the most enjoyment making of all these ones that you've put through? Because I will say that from, from, I hear this from my father when he, I, I sent him the first video that you did the breakdown of the super, the first one. And he was like, well, Jay, I said, I told him, I, I prefaced it with it being that it's a drifting video. My dad was like, oh, drifting cars. Yeah, I don't like it when they skid, but it's not for me. And I was like, James, like, dad, just, just watch it. It's not about the drifting. It's about the breaking down of the car. It's incredible how Stefan's able to talk you through the whole thing. And then I watched, I sent it to my dad, my dad put it aside, left it for a day or two. And then I hit him up and said, have you watched it? Yeah, he's like, no, I'll watch it now. And he came back. He's like, James, you need to send me these, all these videos. I want to see how this car finishes. And so each time they come up, <laughs> I send it to him. And he's like, James, when's the next one? When's the next one? And I'm like, it's, it's coming, Dad. It's coming. Stefan's, he's a busy boy. He's got lots of his go here. So with that being the case, which is the one that's been the most enjoyable for you to, to kind of work on? Uh, the one where I tore the engine apart was pretty enjoyable because it was, I've never seen inside that engine. There was mm-hmm. no test run or anything like that so yep we were all seeing it at the same time as i was filming it yep so that was really fun um and it really feels like we have this goal in the beginning like we have a car and at the end it's all going to be a part and then you're kind of going through that step and then it's a constant reveal like you open the hood and there's the engine and you pull out the engine and there's more parts and you pull off the <laughs> yep. valve cover and there's a valve train you pull off the head and then there's a piston so there's continually all of these uh i guess in filming they call them uh uh Shoot, whatever you call it. So I'm, I'm not, I'm just not, I'm not, I haven't done this for that long, but uh, it was reveal, like a treasure chest, the reveal right? shot. It's called the reveal yeah. shot. Yeah. So, you know, like there'll be something behind, you know, here and then there's the reveal and Stefan is now in the, you know, in the picture. That's why I try to, I kind of walk into each one of the beginning, into the frame and the beginning of all my videos. It's like the reveal of me in the beginning. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just, I like that. But when you're tearing apart an engine, it's just this constant reveal of something new and something new that you've never seen before. Yeah. Uh, so that was really fun to yeah, me. No, that really works. Yeah. And then yeah. I had another question, especially about the, um, the paper drift video. How did that sort of come oh, about? The stop motion one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my buddy, John Brewer, um, works in Hollywood industry. He's, he's, he's a, a producer and, and aspiring director and he's a filmmaker and all these different things. But his main job in uh, Hollywood at the moment is uh, production. So we've used him when we've had drifting events out in the canyons in Los Angeles Canyon. And, um, and uh, what else we did? When we did downtown LA and we drifted the 4th Street Bridge, uh, he helped produce that. So you know, as this COVID stuff shut Hollywood down, um, he hit me up around March and he's like, hey man, we're, you know, we can't do any on location filming and we're pretty much all shut down. 
he's like, I really love, he's telling me how he loves stop motion. And uh, it's usually so time consuming to do a stop motion. It's, it's cost prohibitive. Like it's so many days of editing, so many days of filming, so much of everything. These, these, it's too expensive to do it. He's like, yeah. but he's like, I've got time right now. He's like my buddy who's a director of photography, has some great camera equipment and he's got some time too. Like, what if we came to your shop and wore masks and, and you know, we'll be super safe there. And, uh, you know, we'll shoot this, the stop motion video. And I was like, I love it. Let's do it. How long it. did it take? He filmed it for four days. Um, he, he did a pre-production for probably a week or so, planning okay. it out. Right. Uh, filmed it for four days. They had a whole shot list and everything. Very, very Hollywood style. Like, they knew what they were doing before they went into it. Right. Um, they, he spent probably a week or so editing. We went back and forth uh, with the edit. There's actually a couple of versions. There's a 90 second version also where I'm washing my hands and doing all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then he sent it out to a, well, we had um, uh, Lee Diffie who does Formula One and NASCAR voiceovers did the voiceover on it. Yep. And uh, that was very nice of him to do that. And then, um, and then John sent it out to a friend that did like the special color color correction on it and then a different professional that's a emmy nominated sound creator yeah. who did the sound effects and everything for it so it was um it got the full hollywood commercial treatment uh you know for a fun stop motion video with some drift cars in it so that was that was uh that was something really special well something came out of this uh, lockdown for you then yeah, you know, it was it was a it was a project that he's been wanting to do. Um, we wanted to do something a little bit different. So, yeah, and, and at the same time, we're like, what what can we do? We can't go to tracks. We can't do anything. And uh, so glad he he called us on that. Yeah. Hey, Stefan, this is Sam. Sorry, I was a little late. Uh, I, I was out pro. No, I wasn't protesting. But uh, hey, uh, how many how many people actually worked on that thing um, uh, on that stop motion? Uh, so it was John and uh, and his buddy Brian did all of the filming. So John did all of the car setups. Brian did the lighting, and then they had uh, this really sophisticated camera. So it's all all of the filming is done. Well, the stuff with me was filmed with like an Alexa cam, like a commercial grade Hollywood mm -hmm. camera, like these hundred thousand dollar cameras they 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 have. Um, yeah. And then it's just a five D Mark three or whatever, like a still camera shoots everything else. Right, and they have right. this, they have this, uh, I forgot what they call it, but it's like a motion thing where it moves along and a laptop controls it. So each shot, you know, if they do 24 in a per second, it yeah. moves a little bit each time they yeah. do a shot. So it looks like the camera's, each camera is panning with the shot. Mm -hmm. So anyways, it was, it was just two of them that did, uh, that did the filming here in the shop. The, the post-production was all done with everybody at home. So John did that in his house on his laptop. And then he sent it out to his buddy that did color. And that guy did it on his computer to his house and they sent it out to audio and he did it at his house. So it was really, John was really, cause he's in production. He's, he was like, look, man, we can produce stuff and not have to be on location or in a studio, even in a lockdown situation. He wanted to prove that they can do it that. And, uh, and they did. I'm telling you, Stefan, this thing was so cool that I could see a little like a, a sequel or something, maybe with a paper Stefan Papadakis, you know, and maybe a little story behind it and a little short film, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. I mean, this was cool. I know it would take a lot of money and, you know, time to make something like that, but I mean, 
this this it was it was really cool so thank you all right yeah. well i think we're we're almost out of time uh stefan uh where can people find you and um if you want some something to say to our audience yeah um I guess thanks for watching. Uh, we really are passionate about building cars and, and sharing the behind the scenes. And if you want to see more, uh, I post often on my Instagram, Steph Papadakis uh, is the handle. Which as and, you can see, Steph and I follow here. Yeah, I just great. noticed, so I got that followed. And then um, uh, our YouTube, which is uh, Papadakis. Check out his YouTube, yeah. Which is yeah, also right. subscribed to, as you can see there. Steph and I just try <laughs> to be a good team player here. I don't know about Sam and Taro, but the others are definitely, uh, hey, they're I'm, all there. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. Yep, and stay, thanks, guys. And then, uh, yeah, in the next week or so, we're going to release the actual video of that super build testing on the track and how we go through the full day of, you know, the, the things never turned a tire on the track before and the different stages we go through to making sure that it's, you know, the brakes work <laughs> and then the wheels don't fall off. And then we start drifting a little bit. Then we start, start drifting a lot. Um, we've held off a little bit on that video because, uh, you know, there's so much in the news and there's so much going on right now. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think we'll, the plan is to release it next week if we get a moment, um, uh, you know, a little break. To, to do that, a little break. A little yeah. break in the news cycle. Yeah, exactly. Well, well Nigel McKean is very much looking forward to it, Stefan. That's one thing for sure. Great. Nigel is uh, James' dad. Oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Thomas and I. All right. Well, thanks, well, guys. Thanks for having thanks me. For, uh, thanks for coming on board. Good luck. We're uh, looking forward to seeing you out on the track again, Steph. Thanks, guys. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Thanks. Bye. Bye. So, uh, Sam, so I, I made sure I told everyone uh, ahead of time where you were for this last hour. Um, so don't be afraid. Uh, it's okay. We, it's, they know exactly where you were. Uh, protesting? I wasn't protesting, though. I just told them that uh, you had a bad burrito, and that was the result, is that you couldn't leave the bathroom. <laughs> okay, that'll work. That'll work. Picked but up I the, you picked up a burrito that was thrown. I yeah. So why, I, uh, so why is uh, Taro in the um, confines of deep space? Can't you see? I'm, 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 I'm supporting. I'm supporting. Oh, you're, you're. Oh, is that what this is? Oh, okay. This is, this is I support, see. Sam. I see. I see. I see. Uh, I came too late to even do any background, so this is my office. So. I just want to know what that 007 thing is over your head there, Sam. That's all. Oh, that is a that's a, a Lotus Esprit uh, uh, diecast. Oh. Box. Yeah. From his, uh, I think it was. Uh, uh, the one uh, for your eyes only, the 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 copper one, you know, that he took skiing. I don't know if you. I'm a big James Bond nut, so. so. I I'm well aware. But I'm wondering which one it was. Your hair is looking Sam wonderful, though, Sam. I will say in that. The house finally. Yeah, sorry. You. Um, next, I think um, James has a review for us. Yeah, we can uh, jump. Do you want to do the review, or do you want to do the scoop first? Always the reviews, Sam. The reviews are always more important than your scoops. We know this. Tara's talked about this. We've talked about this, Sam, and then you just jump right in there. Okay. Take away, James, because I am the dessert for last, right? The sweet stuff. Uh, yeah. the sweet stuff for last. I am the. I am. I am. Uh, I am. I always, always, always look forward to your reviews, James. Well, I, I always try, Sam. And this one, I'm going to disappoint you with the photos, but next on our next uh, episode, I'll hold, try to make things a little better for you. So that's all I can say. So. As you can see, I got something rather small from uh, Toyota this last couple of weeks that I got to go hang out in. 
the Yaris hatchback. But not obviously when I dropped off and looked at the car, what I didn't realize about this car until further inspection, as in I got inside, it's actually a Mazda 2. So but the things you learn that I didn't realize. Here I was expecting it was going to be a tuned, a detuned version of the homologation Yaris GR edition that they've got to, in Japan. But unfortunately, no, it's a, a Mazda 2. We're not going to get that here. Yeah. I know, I know. But uh, the car itself, I was very happy with. Comes in just over 100 horsepower, which is where I think it could really do with a little bit more gumption. Um, I mean, it's 106 horsepower if it's an inline four. If it had a turbocharged engine, giving it maybe 40 horsepower or more, put some little grippier tires on, it'd be a nice little fun super mini. Um, with it being 106 horsepower as it is, I mean, it still it feels, it's a Mazda car, obviously, so it's got the handling, so it still feels sporty, but it just doesn't really have the gumption that you'd like these days. I mean, it reminds me of a car that I would have had um, a little a few years ago where it was a small car because that's what your mom and dad want to buy for you and it isn't that big on the horsepower so but it is fuel efficient so you don't have to spend too much at the fuel pump if that makes sense but i have to say i do like the styling of the car i think it's a fun car and i didn't really find that i had uh there was it's obviously it's a subcompact so it wasn't the biggest car in the back but it also it wasn't that uncomfortable um so that's one thing that i found and, and obviously the interior is nice and for just shy of like with destination, I think it rolled up to about just over $19,000. I thought it was a, a good little car. You know what I mean? It was comfortable. It's nice. It looks good. Um, the only thing I felt that was maybe a little bit wrong with it was that just you felt the, the felt the vibrations and the road noise when you got on the freeway and the highway and you were driving around a little bit faster, if that makes sense. But, well, it is a small little compact, so it's exactly. probably yeah. But uh, the the... The race boy racer in me would certainly like to see this with uh, 50 horsepower more. That'd be that's where I think it'd really come. That's some crazy wheels, huh? Yeah, I mean, like I say, it looks more expensive than a than a sub twenty thousand dollar car. You know what I mean? You're getting a lot for your money. So it's got that, that Fordish kind of face now, you know, like a Euro European Ford compact it face. Does. Yeah, you know? yeah, but made in Mexico. Hmm. Although I think they've just started making them again after the shutdown and everything else under the sun. But like I said, I mean, I got in, I was like, wow, it's a Mazda 3 stroke MX-5 Miata with a Toyota badge on the inside. Hmm. Well, you know, the two companies are getting closer and closer, so they're sharing a lot of technology, so. Hey, it, it helps with the build, right? Yeah. But as you always ask, Sam, I definitely give this two thumbs up. I thought it was a, a great car for a beginner, someone if, you were, if you're going to be on your child, something that's good. Um, if you lived in a big city, I think it's a good car, really small, really nimble, great to park, easy to go. Still got, I think, on the highway, I think it was like 40 plus miles a gallon I was getting. And then around town, it was in the low 30s. Um, that was being conservative, obviously. Uh, and so it was a good car. The only downside, it's got the weird uh, Mazda infotainment system, which you can see here in the middle, which I always feel is you kind of like, you have to sometimes take your eyes down off the road to sort of put your hand to get to it. It'd be a lot easier, if, honestly, if everything was handled and it had the, uh, just a touch screen at the front, that'd make it a lot easier. Obviously, it'd probably make it a little bit more expensive, and it's not what Mazda have. But, I mean, if they've got it in so many vehicles now, you think that it could come through, and it's a pretty inexpensive switch to make in this day and age. Do they have a manual version of this car? They, they do. And, and the XLE, which I got, is only comes in automatic, but they do have a manual version below it. But uh, I think 
I think that's the one you'd want to get if you were wanting to have the horsepower. I think the one's a little bit more sprightly than the automatic. But honestly, tootling around Los Angeles at the time for the past uh, week or so, it was it was just nice to have this. Just nice, easy to get around, comfortable. You know what I mean? Well, what did you say the price was? Uh, just shy of twenty thousand. I think it oh, was nineteen thousand eight hundred and some plus change, and that had a few. Well, very, yeah, very. A few features, a few extra features and a few mats and lights and things like that. And plus a destination charge. I think if you wanted to, you can get the lower version. I think starts at 17 and then cops out with the destination just to 18,000. It doesn't have too many options, obviously, on the, on the price point. And it, it certainly lacks a few of the um, safety features. For example, of the Kias we talked about last week, which were a little bit more money and a little bit bigger. But if you wanted to go for something you felt was reliable and came with the Toyota badge when this is the one for you. It's a good car. I give it, as always, two thumbs up, see? Not a place to be. And obviously, I'm a, a fan of small um, hatchbacks, I should say. But the Sprat, the always reminds me of being a youth and, and well, you're a Euro. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, I, if, I felt that, if I felt I wanted to get myself into some trouble, I'm sure I could find a car park and some McDonald's trays I could put underneath the back wheels and uh, just skid around all night until the police tell me off. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, those so, uh, those rear tires sure are thin. Probably. Yeah. Uh, what are they like 185s? Yeah, I think I think they're 185s in the, uh, all round, like 17s, which is uh, funny enough. Yeah, the 17 inch wheels kind of give it a little class. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Gives it a yeah, but I do think it's funny because obviously when I started driving, I remember my first small hatch had 13 inch wheels, and it was like a huge update when I exactly. went to 14s, right. and now. This, this, everything comes, a 17 is like a tiny wheel now and everything's coming with 19 inches and 20s. I mean, I think yeah. even the Camry comes standard with like 19 inch wheels or 20 inch wheels now on some models. Yeah. It's a funny place to be. But uh, yeah, but that's my thoughts on the Toyota. I do like it. Um, and I, I thought it was great. Like I say, can't complain at all. Awesome. Thank you. Well, now, but I guess, great review. I guess we can talk, Sam, about you jumping into those scoops because that's all what everyone's tuning in for to hear. It's Actually, you know what, James? Cardies. I wanted to ask you, I mean, since you're our racing guy, if you've been kind of keeping uh, touch with these race, you know, these uh, sim, sim racing thing, uh, about that uh, driver who uh, who got caught. Um, oh, you want racing. to talk about Daniel Abt? Is that him? Yeah, that's, that's a him. So, I mean, yeah. there's there's certainly unique oh, ways yeah, to awesome. take on it. I, I mean, his, so oh, yeah. Daniel Abt is a professional racing driver. His father is part of the ABT a group and that is linked with Audi, has supported Audi on the racing front for many, many years now. Uh, Daniel is a driver, been in Formula E from the start, is a race winner in Formula E, has been close in championship contention for a number of years. He's a good driver, very fast. Yep, he is. But however, he's not a very good driver on the eSports. So <laughs> for the first, I think it was like race six, I think this is coming into it where the issue happened, but race in the first five races, he'd been qualifying very lowly in the positions, like in the 20s. Hadn't got further than that. Had not been the best, I will say, on the racetrack. He'd been, but he has a very good social media following. So he joked prior to this that wouldn't it be funny if I had a professional racer step in for me? Wouldn't that be great? And maybe give these guys a run for this money. So lo and behold, that happened. However, Daniel forgot to tell anyone about this, that he was going to go ahead with this. So he, he hired a professional esports racer oh uh, to drive for him. They hid, <laughs> yeah, they hid, so the esports racer actually competes in the lower Formula E competition, strictly for esports racers. Okay. But 
they concealed the camera so the driver couldn't be seen properly. And Daniel didn't take part in the post-race press conferences. During the race, some of the other drivers suggested that it was not Daniel because he didn't have a hot mic and wasn't able to talk to them. And so they wanted to know if it was Daniel driving and some clearly thought it was not. Obviously, it came out post-event that it was not Daniel driving. It was another gentleman who was racing in his spot, a professional esports racer. Now, How did he get caught, though? Well, they won. He admitted it after the race. Oh, he won the race? No, he came second in the race. Okay. So it's, it's well, like there's, there's one right there. To second. That's so good overnight. So right? Yeah. So there was that. They also checked the, uh, the IP logs. The IP logs were different. Uh, mm -hmm. He didn't take part in any of the post-race. Yeah. So there was all this. Now, there was different ways to look at this. Obviously, I thought he, uh, obviously he was, Audi decided he was first sat on the sidelines and then they, they severed the partnership now. I fully okay. agree with that. I think that in the idea that people aren't I taking this. Yeah. I no, bad. I think that it's a professional race. If yeah. it's a professional race, cute. give it, take it. You're not going to let someone else and put them in there and have them drive for you. Yeah. So it's a professional sport. It's not a stig. It's, it's an event <laughs> sponsoring uh, by UNICEF. So the whole sport is to garner money and interest for UNICEF. You've got your main sponsor, obviously, of the race, Formula E. It's for charity, which is UNICEF. You're an Audi driver representing your family team of ABT. So all these come to it. And the idea that you're like, oh, we'll just get a ringer and it'll be funny and we can look, laugh well, about it Well, when you put it that way, James. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was no... Con I fully support it. The idea that it was like, it was a joke. Ha ha. I was just doing it for laughs. Just doesn't sit well. I think it was incredibly bad taste. They've got drivers out there working with their engineers doing six to eight hours a day with a group of five to six people working on these sim races, doing it every day ahead of these races, putting on a sport where thousands upon thousands of people look up to these drivers, watch these drivers and see them watch these events. Uh, it's, a, it's an opportunity to showcase this in a, a serious time when we've obviously got a global pandemic and this is before everything else came into the match. I think it's ridiculous that anyone will put themselves ahead of this and think how obnoxious it is to go and do this themselves. I think that anyone that stands by it seems to seem to a very juvenile approach to something that's actually is a motorsport that people are doing for a living and belittles those people that take it so seriously. So I think James that McKeown, putting the hammer down. Look, <laughs> I, I don't like the I don't like the cheating in, in sports. Uh, I'm glad that he's able to well, find it. Cheating, though. You know, esports is sports. So I mean, if you cheat, you get caught, and uh, you're out. Man. Exactly. I, I mean, I understand that it. it can be a funny moment, haha, -ha, when you're a driver and you're racing and your daughter accidentally turns the TV off and you lose the race and oh, it out. Yeah. Or, for example, someone <laughs> trips over, someone, someone trips over and pulls out the cable that goes into the router, which has also happened, which is not, I can understand that life happens and obviously dogs barking in the background and everything else. It's but, also an accident too, right? I yes, mean, but the idea that you actively wanted to yeah. cheat the system. Yeah. Yeah. And a race that's fund it's fundamentally being run for charity is ridiculous. It's so yeah, that's, that's there you go, yeah. Sam. Hopefully that was good enough for you. That was good. Mm -hmm. I would uh, you could have put up a picture of him or, or something. Well, sorry, Sam, I was there, but I didn't. I look, I don't want to glorify him. I don't want to let anyone well, you're know not who is. No, oh, yeah, I would be, but if I'm going to pull him up, I'm going to show off where you could follow him and things. So I don't want to talk about that. All right, we don't have to. We don't. But have to. I could. I guess that's it. Let's uh, share the screen and we can go with Formula E. Where we go on now? Just if you give me a minute here, I'll I can't believe go. I had to. I had to remind you of that story. You totally forgot about it, but it was two weeks ago, right? Well, I was going to. 
a week and a half ago. I was going to actually talk about it at the end when he came to it, but... Uh, oh, sorry about that. No, no, don't worry about it, Sam. These things happen. So I'm glad we just got to a little bit sooner. Mistakes happen, Sam. Yeah, it's not a mistake. <laughs> you, you know what I should have did, Taro, is because I was late, I should have had a ringer come in at 2 o'clock for me. Yeah. And you should have had here. someone sit for you exactly. right there and just like move. You, you should have had Mike Jim sit, sit yeah. there. <laughs> so there we just one moment, folks, as I get back to this sharing my screen again, as I just made everything, the magic happen. So hopefully this works. So there you go. So obviously all you there kids is, out there, don't cheat. Yep. Don't cheat. You get the cheat. Sports. And Even then, people say if you're not cheating, you're not trying, that's wrong. So there you go. Okay. Who said yeah. uh, if you're not cheating, you're not trying? Bill Belichick? I'm sure he's one of them. <laughs> I'm sure he's one of them. <laughs> but there we go. All right, Sam. So I guess okay. it's back to you in regards to cool. uh, the scoop. All right, Sam. What you got for us? Uh, well, uh, I don't know if you guys know. you. Uh, I'm sure you guys know. Uh, let's see. Today is June 4th. So pretty much uh, a little over a week ago, uh, Nissan um, at their one of their press conferences uh, kind of, you know, talking about their financial results and, you know, it's not very good this year, but they uh, kind of set the whole um, uh, enthusiast car world on fire when they uh, uh, shared an image with everyone and they had a whole bunch of cars kind of mysteriously, you know, um, in shadows and stuff. And in the forefront was, 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 uh, hold on, uh, was, what, where's my, in the, oh, I got a, I'm doing this for the first time, but in the forefront was this baby. Can you guys see it? Now we can. Great. And any way you look at it, they didn't say what this car was, what, you know, any way you look at it, that is a Z. And this is from Nissan now. So this pretty much confirms that there is a new Z coming, new Z on the way. Now- so well, I was going to say, Sam, this yeah. means that, that Nissan has confirmed what we thought first, you first brought to the world's attention is basically what we're saying now, right? I, I even have more, more to add on that. Oh, <laughs> because I was talking to Nissan engineers. I mean, th those guys in Atsugi, which is Nichan, where Nissan's engineering, research and engineering department is in deep design. And they said, Sam, no, there's no Z. If anyone knew, I would know there's no <laughs> Z in the works. And I go, is, well, you know, we- This we, is pretty you know, obvious. It's not the S16 we were talking about last week. No, it's not the S16. It's not a, it's not a GTR. This is a Z. So, so you know, we know uh, it's pretty much confirmation that this is a Z. Now, do we know if it's an all new model or if it's a kind of a major evolution of the current model? So same platform, same, we don't know that yet. But not the engineers, but my little spies over in Japan, and some of them are best car, some of them are the freelancers, they're, you know, they're, 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 the, they're the guys in the really thick glasses with the straight bowl haircut and the cameras, you know? Those <laughs> guys, you like. yes. yeah, those guys, hey, you know buddies. what? Yeah, hey, you know what? They're the guys who go in there, do not yeah. underestimate those, those, those yeah. little, we call them, you know, geeky guys. They are, when it comes to getting information, James, you let me know. I'll put those guys on it, man. They're like ants. So that's, anyways. <laughs> that's what I like to hear, Sam. I hope you do. You know, uh, you could call them, you know, Sammy's army. They're a little, my uh, Sammy's ant army. They're, they're all over the place. So, so, you know, if you see a guy in like, 
you're riding in the train and he's reading a, a, a comic book, you know, don't make fun of him. He could be one of my boys. All right. <laughs> okay. So anyways, getting back to it. But they, they found out, they told me that this car, uh, whether it's all new or not, is going to be um, uh, um, um, powered by a three liter uh, twin turbo V6. Okay. So what that means is the car right now is not turbocharged. It's naturally aspirated, right? So get this. Uh, they said there's going to be two grades. Remember when uh, we had the 300ZX, the uh, Z32? Mm -hmm. We had a 300ZX and a 300ZX turbo. So yep. it looks like that's what they're going to do again here. Uh, or, but even though they'll both be turbo, but they'll be, you know, different, different, uh, the, the, the turbo will be a, a different. And the, uh, the, the base one will be a 300, 300 well, they, they said 304 horsepower. That's really getting kind of um, 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 detailed, but I, 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 let's just say 300 horsepower. So we yeah. have a 300 horsepower car and then a 400 horsepower car. So I think, you know, they see the Supra and these, uh, you know, Toyota Supra and all these uh, new cars coming out. They're, they're, they're saying, hey, you know, we're not gonna be left out of these horsepower wars. Uh, the Z is still the car that should be the halo car, you know, when it comes to uh, Japanese sports cars. Um, uh, we hear the name's going to be 400Z. Uh, and that could be because of the 400 horsepower in the bigger car. Um, and also, uh, we hear that it's going to be seven, a seven-speed automatic transmission or, and hallelujah, six-speed manual. With the um, synchro ramp, which I love. You know that which uh, blips the throttle for you as you so you don't have to heal and toll. So um, mm. the bad part of all this is it's going to be about forty-five thousand to fifty thousand uh, dollars. Mm. That's the that's the base model, and the 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 four hundred horsepower model could be as much as sixty thousand bucks, which is you know it's it's getting up there. But you know I mean what's uh, Taro or James? Do you guys know what is? Uh, I could check too. What is the Supra going? For? right now and we did a report on it um, um let's see i'll see if i can bring I it think up it's like 55 50, 000. if i'm moving it sam i'll just bring oh, it up thank for you. a sec yeah. uh, so i'm going to steal i'm going to steal uh the screen though you're going to stop sharing sam and then i'll steal it just oh. 50. okay but uh, okay i want to go back to it too but go ahead because i want to 50. is it about 50. Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah mm -hmm. and it'll 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 have more um there it is. Yeah. $50,000. So, you know, I mean, you, you put equipment on that. It could get, you know, it could get up to $60,000 in, yeah. in a hurry. There we go. See, 55,000 is where the launch edition goes. Yeah. So, so there you go. So 55,000. So it's right there, you know, and you'll get a 400 horsepower engine plus, plus it is a true, uh, and no, no, uh, no, 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 no offense to Toyota no. and no, <laughs> it is a true Japanese sports car. There's no German underpinnings, nothing no like German, that. No French, no nothing underneath. No, oh, yeah, well, exactly. No French. Well, you know, but Nissan, the Nissan Alliance. And going back to this um, uh, um, um, photo, um, which you guys can see here. So uh, can you guys see my... Um, um, of course. Yep. So you can see, there. look at that. That is very, very retro. That is like mm -hmm. almost... Um, almost uh, looks like a 240. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be very retro. I think the styling is going to be totally different. Yeah. Uh, the front is going to be pretty much updated. It almost looks, you know, Jaguar-esque. Yeah, look how long that nose is, too. 
Yeah, and the nose is long, so you know it's it's just like the Supra, the long mm -hmm. nose, front engine, rear drive. Yeah, looking at this, you know it's not going to be mid-engine. So, yeah. so anyways, that was the big news. And look at the front uh, front uh, under the spoiler. Yeah. You know. So it's going to be an aggressive car. I you know just by the silhouette, I think this thing is awesome. I, yeah, it looks pretty. I aggressive. love it. You I like know, I hope you know. I, 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 I hope they. Uh, I hope they. You know, I'm, I'm sure the the final design is not um, uh, has not been decided yet. But um, from what it looks like, I love the retro rear end. You know, and they, it has the you know the roof line and the little triangular um, tail, uh, the rear quarter panel here or rear quarter glass. It's and the you know the, and you could tell that with by the um, uh, uh, the fender line here, the bulging fenders. It's going to be a pretty pretty uh, pretty aggressive it's going to be a pretty wide rear end i think so yeah it looks like it yeah a nice nice bulge there on the quarter panel yeah. yeah so you heard it here first again right um uh uh 300 400 horsepower um z uh we don't know if it's all new but judging by this picture it i, I don't know you know it, they could say cost and use the uh, current platform that current platform is pretty old now you know so what are they what are they going to call this one 400z it's going to be the 400z yeah that's what we hear that's what my uh, uh let's call them the otaku army is doing <laughs> 400z so so anyway so that's that's one scoop news um and then going to the other scoop news is uh just kind of a review because people are uh, there's more information coming out and there's a uh, um um oh i gotta sorry about that uh, i'm new at this james you do it like so smoothly but it's, I try, Sam. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, lots of practice. I usually do it on my back, you know, my virtual background. But uh, I know you have a very scientific method with that virtual background of yours. Exactly. So so the, the, today I didn't have time to do that because I I joined late. So because you were on the throne, obviously contemplating. Oh, my burrito. Understand. Yeah. Yeah. See that? Yes, we can see okay, it. Okay, great. So that's uh, that's the new Mazda um, 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 premium premium um, sports sedan. Uh, slash sports coupe. They said there's going to be a two door uh, to this. So uh, just to review on this, because um, um, we're really, really looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to have an inline six engine, which mm -hmm. is awesome, which is very noteworthy because um, I think we all like inline six engines. I, I do. You know, ever since the old BMWs and the M3s, uh, back to the, I mean, even before the E36. I mean, the inline sixes are are a great engine because you know they they give you a nice a nice balance, uh, a three-liter version of that, uh, and they said it, there might be a two-liter uh, inline-four uh, for a little uh, uh, a cheaper version. Um, hopefully, you guys can't hear that horn going on. I don't know what that. We can, but it, we uh, thankfully we know it's not you breaking into that car, it's, Sam. It's so that's not, the important it's thing. Hopefully, it's not my car. But, hopefully, fingers uh, crossed. And there's also going to be a hybrid. Now, uh, James, this goes really, really. Um, 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 hand in hand with the uh, the uh, Yaris you uh, uh, reviewed because of the Mazda uh, Toyota partnership, mm -hmm. so I'm thinking the hybrid. I'm almost pretty sure the hybrid's going to be a Toyota hybrid system that they're going to use in there. Uh, what engine they're saying it might be a two liter, so it'll be Prius like. Uh, Would you say that's more Corolla like then, as opposed to Prius? Uh, Corolla like, yeah, because that Prius is a 1.5 or something. What's it? I can't remember. I, yeah. I think they've got two different versions of the Prius one, but uh, yeah. Okay, but anyways, but check this out. With a two-liter engine, a hybrid, they're saying the maximum horsepower is going to be 300 horsepower, which is pretty damn good, you know, for 
And oh, maybe the worst part of the sports to them. Maybe they're using awesome. the same engine that they're going to be in the new Rav Four Prime then, which is three hundred and four horsepower. Okay, that that it's probably that one. That's a hybrid, right? You're talking yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the hybrid, yeah. And yep. thirty-five kilogram meters of torque. Uh, so, it's you know, and uh, they say if, you know, uh, it should get like thirty miles a gallon at least. So, I mean, it's going to be a very uh, with three hundred horsepower and that rate of horse uh, fuel economy. It's going to be a very very, very comp competitive um, sports sedan. It's almost something where you go, do you, you know, would you rather buy this or maybe a, you know, a BMW um, um, three series or, you know, even a, a five series. Mm -hmm. uh, the um, there's for the Europeans and there's, I'm only I'm sharing this with you, James, because uh, you're from across the pond. Uh, they will have a diesel turbo mm -hmm. three liter, and that may be for the, um, uh, you know, the, markets outside of uh, the US, uh, we probably won't be seeing that here. So, um, and, you know, Mazda tell, the, we hear from Mazda uh, or from, you know, they, uh, they don't say this um, publicly that they're really gonna go hard after Mercedes-Benz and BMW uh, in the European market and, in, and, and try to steal their uh, customers away from the Japan market. Even though, you know, the buying public is, you know, the customer's a little different because, you know, they enjoy the name and the premium brand, but, um, it looks like Mazda is going to, with this car, it feels like they're gonna try to move up to like maybe where Subaru is a little bit, but not off-road, but in the more premium segment. And I think if they are going to be doing business with Toyota, it makes a lot of sense. You know, kind of um, get away from, you know, the prime Toyota and go to uh, the premium brand. But here's the problem is Toyota also is very, uh, has a huge stake in Subaru too. So now you got, you know, the, the marketplace is getting crowded, you know, yeah, yeah. so we'll see what, uh, you know, what, what happens there because, uh, you know, when you think about it, all right, I'm going to ask James, uh, James, uh, Germany, the country, how many major car, car makers are there? Uh, in Germany? Yeah. You well, got Audi, Mercedes-Benz, BMW, and Porsche. Pretty Volkswagen. Oh, oh, shit. Oh, shoot. That's the biggest one. Sorry. You can beep that out. Girl. So that's five. So that's quite a bit. How about in the U.S.? Uh, well, here you've got uh, obviously you've got Chrysler. Ford, yeah, Chrysler, Daimler, Chrysler, or not Chrysler. Daimler, Chrysler. Wow, what am I Chrysler, oh, Ford, and GM, pretty much, yeah. right? The big yeah, three, Ford, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's three for this country. How many does that's Japan one. have? Way too many. Okay, so you know we're talking Nissan, we're talking Toyota, we're talking Subaru, we're talking Mazda. Uh, we won't count, count that hands, but we're talking Mitsubishi. That's five for a fit right there for a really small country. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm missing a few too. Probably there's you know some. Well, oh, if you count the truck manufacturers like Isuzu and all those guys. Well, Hino, yeah, Hino, right? Hino, yeah, Mitsubishi. So, yeah, I mean, there's uh, so in, in that little small country of the, you know, uh, there's they have a lot of brands. So yeah. you know, maybe it's it's good that Toyota's kind of you know, kind of. By, they're not buying up, but forming partnerships and maybe kind of focus that um, they're marketing a little more. What's the extent we've got, of this uh, Charles, for this car, though? I was going to say, Tara, Charles in the Facebook uh, question saying he's looking forward to the three-door version of this. So I'm assuming he means just a two-door and with the, the back door being the third door there. So I'd yeah, it could, yeah, a, we'll, a we'll Grand Tourer. Yeah, yeah, we'll see what kind yeah, but we'll see what kind of um, uh, um, um, rear, you know, a fastback or if it has a, you know, um, 
I, it could be it could be a hatch like an A7 type, mm -hmm. but you know with a two door. So yeah, yeah. That, it could definitely be a three door. I think it. I think and if it's for Europe, I think it's perfect because you know Europe loves hatchbacks. So they do. But it, I, to call this a hatchback would be doing it a disservice. It'll be agreed. Yeah, agreed. It'll be I'd like to call it a Grand Tourer. Is what you like a to call it? A grand tour, yeah. And it, yeah. I don't think it'll quite be a station wagon, like a estate, as no. James is speaking. As I like to call them, yes. Yeah. I definitely more a grand tour. Class, right? Category-wise, it's the five series. Yeah, I would I would say five series, yes. And let's see, I'm thinking, uh, and we're, we're hearing with the Sky Active, right? Because that's the Mazda engine. Uh, Sky Active, they're, you know, uh, inline six, three liter uh, with 300 horsepower. That Not the hybrid, you know. Uh, we're hearing the price is going to be forty thousand to forty-five thousand, so it'll actually probably undercut the five series. So substantially, yeah. Uh, so so it'll be more in the three series range probably. Even the three series is I don't think goes up to. Uh, I, that is around three, three series range, right? Or is it? I think it's you're talking more of four series. Four series, okay. So four series. Well, so four series Grand Coupe. Yeah. You know, when you look at the uh, body style, it's very Grand Coupe-ish. Uh, the new Mazda, and thank you to Best Car for providing us this uh, this image uh, that uh, their artists did, um, and you know they they have uh, they they have some direct lines with the, the designers who aren't supposed to tell them too much, but you know uh, they're they're really really close on their thing. So, anyways, uh, that's my um, report. Those two cars. So hopefully, um, the Z will be. Uh, excite uh, most of us and um, uh, it'll bring Nissan back on track, get their sales and get their act together in the US and the rest of the world, so. Okay. Which, what's, uh, yes. What's this one called? Which one? The Mazda. Oh, the Mazda, well, we just, Mazda, we're just calling it right now, the Mazda. It doesn't even have a name. Yeah, yet. Mazda Sports, yeah, premium mm. sports car. Would it, would it be still uh, a call Mazda, it the Mazda 6. Yeah, I was going to say, shouldn't it be a Mazda 6 or a Mazda 7, right? Yeah, uh, Mazda, yeah. But well, do they want to keep that name? It's, we don't know. Let's see. You know, so. Shout out to uh, Jason Kusagaya. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> oh, Jason joined us? Jason. Jason's, Jason's watching us. Oh, okay. Well, ask Jason if you... There we go. So anyways, that's my report. Jason, hopefully you didn't miss it, but, and, and if there, if I made any mistakes on history, historic cars or what's sold in the U.S. and what's not, I'm sorry. He will I fact check you. Will yeah, fact -check well, you, you know, I mean, when I even worked at Road and Track, when I, you know, I mean, I can't remember every detail of every car ever made. And these guys, you know, if I didn't, if I forgot one or if I miss, you know, made a mistake, oh, they were all over me. I go, guys, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what the piston size of, you know, 1968 uh, Ford was. I'm sorry, you know, so, so, anyways. Some people know this stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. As and they remember, expect you to know it if you work at Road Drag or, or GT Channel, right? So or GT Channel, yeah. We have a lot of enthusiastic enthusiasts yes, in our, in our yes, crowd, yes, yes, you know, in our viewership. Okay, and so that's my also, yeah. And Tara, got people that also likes to be very serious. You know this, Tara, so there's no joking. When it comes oh. to these discussions, right? No, I think absolutely no joking. But and we can't make fun of you. That's the important thing. I think that was the takeaway. We not. I mean, you can't you. make. I mean, what, what about Steven Seagal eating the carrot? That was kind Everybody of. Everybody loved that. That that we. I thought the viewers <laughs> biked at that. I thought we actually. I got feedback. Uh, you see, people, I'm not wearing those glasses today. There's people ask me 
They said, we, where, why does Sam not wear those glasses all the time? I, they I also will. Said, I will for the next show. You should, I will for the you next should week. for the show. I, I mean, I looked at the metrics, Tara, on Facebook, and I definitely, when we brought up Sam and his Steven Seagal-esque disguise, the numbers spiked. Upward trending. I mean, I think we need to have Sam come with Steven Seagal in different outfits each you know, week. I think doing, that should be a new thing. You're, I mean, with all respect, dude, with all due respect to Steven Seagal, you're kind of doing my glasses a disservice by comparing it to the one he's wearing. Mine are far superior. And they're totally different. Well, totally I'll let different. you and Steven have. You guys uh, are both martial arts. You know, yeah, you could masters, settle this at the dojo. I don't yeah. see that being an issue. <laughs> I could see you both walk in. It's two sunglasses. Enter one sunglasses. Eat uh, leaves. That's all I'm asking for at the dojo, not the yeah, dojo. Hey, at the be, dojo. Judo versus uh, uh, Aikido. Aikido right? Settle the 2021 it. version. 2020 <laughs> version. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, anyways. Um, uh, yeah, I'll wear those glasses next time just for you guys. Just 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 because you guys don't just like for it. your fans. Your fans you know, my they fan, want to see my, those carrot glasses. Yeah, so. <laughs> your carrot so, colored glasses. Are we good? I think we're good. Um, so for the next show, thanks for watching, guys. Uh, make sure to subscribe, like, and uh, comment. Leave us any uh, messages uh, for any topics that you liked or want to hear. Uh, for the next episode in two weeks, we have uh, Megan Leatham, who is the executive director of Pike Speak International Hill Climb. Uh, as we all know, the race got pushed back a little bit, um, but uh, they plan to, to uh, run the event this year as well. And uh, it would be interesting to hear um, her insights on, on the Very interesting. And, and because it's this year, what they have. Yeah, planned. you know that uh, hill climb, Tara, I would think, you know, there's really not that many spectators. It's one I th you would think would be able to do, you know, uh, perform easily. It's just that getting there, right? I think is the yeah, but you don't thing. have to like. Um, there is no like grandstand where you have to sit next to each other. You no, know, there's, no, no. I think it's just people traveling. Stay I think pretty, that's, yeah. I mean, you I can get everyone yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we can ask all these questions on the next podcast. That uh, we're getting ready. That's okay. a very good idea. Uh, anyways, all right, guys. Uh, James McKeown, no breaking uh, podcast. No breaking. Please tune in. Always, always entertaining guests. Taro Koki, the man who makes all this happen, GT Channel, um, and uh, me, who just comes in late and does whatever he wants and then leaves. So. That's that's Sam Matani right there. Man of Anyways, International man of mystery. Yeah. See you in a couple of weeks. Pot speed. See you guys. Guys. Right. See ya. Bye bye. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.